0: Welcome to Short Ends Podcast, where we discuss experimental film, underground movie making, and independent cinema. Okay, here we go. This is the first podcast of Short Ends, and the guest today is Will Blanchard, who has been a good friend for a long time, somebody who I always admired in terms of his taste in experimental film, in the experimental films he made when we went to school together, and I'm happy to have you on, Will. Same.
1: Uh, happy to be here. And uh, it's funny. I remember uh, earlier this week, you you sent me a text. You were like, "Hey, do you know any?" I'm doing this podcast, and like, do you know any great filmmakers? And I was like, "No, not really." And then like a day later, you're like, "Okay, well, will you do it?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah." Well, yes. I uh, that was my plan all along was to get you to ask me. I was like, "No, I don't know anyone. You should look elsewhere." As
0: soon as I sent you that message. I realized I was thinking of it in this way that I was going to have on these, uh, quote, professionals and all this and everything. And then right after I I said that to you, I said, wait a minute. Will here is the true uh, underground experimental filmmaker. And who, yes. better, who better to have on? And also, I didn't want to wait around and turn it into some, uh, you know, ivory tower or something. I wanted to start it out right away, get it going. And I thought this would be the perfect uh, first podcast and just see how it goes.
1: You've been becoming an elitist for a while. So I'm glad you grounded yourself and asked me to be on. So that's good. Okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I, but
1: one more, another thing. I know I'm like not letting you ask any questions, but, um, you know, like it was always my opinion. And I'm not saying this to be self-deprecating. Like I'm happy with where I'm at now as an artist, but in college, I didn't know who I was. I was kind of trying to figure that out and you were always, uh, like you and I had our films do the same day in Sight and Sound Film, and right. I was a fan of you, as you know, and uh, like went out of my way to tell you that, and I thought you were like so much, you know what I mean, I was kind of like that whole, you're not, I'm not worthy, because you're so great, and you know who you are, and I don't, but you always would tell me in the Steenbeck lab, I can't wait to see what you got tomorrow, Will. Oh, this is gonna be, and you, you meant it, and so, uh, you know. That was nice of you. Thank you. We weren't, like, competing. You were, you were building me up, and it, it prepared me to know what, like, it actually means to be excited to make films alongside your colleagues.
0: I think for me, first of all, like, I, there were films that you made that I was really excited about, like, you know, Most ha- Haunted House in Brooklyn. Um, I love that piece. I thought it was, a, you know, very pure experimental work. Um, so I looked up to you in that way, but also just you as a person and the way you carried yourself and kind of how I saw you as, uh, not just within your films, but how you acted as an artist and a filmmaker and, uh, and a gen, generally, uh, genuinely good person and everything was something I always uh, looked up to you uh, towards. So Thanks, man. You were just saying how you didn't know like who you were or something like that in college. Um, and then today you sent me one of your films. I think it was called um, the film you, you said you hated. Yeah, sitting ducks. Is sitting ducks. So I rewatched that today, and I crewed on that film with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I always find it interesting to see things that people have made that they say they hate, or that you know they distance themselves from eventually. Um, and at the time, from what I remember of being on the crew and everything, it was a very like high quality, uh, high production type of shoot. Um, So now you say, you know, you didn't know yourself and you distanced yourself from that film, but that's something I I find interesting. What what was it about that film that you disliked so much?
1: Um, That movie was actually like a remake of a movie that I tried to make in high school. And for my entire junior year, I was carrying myself. uh, I'm going to give you like, yeah, here's like the quick, long-winded way of saying it. When I was in high school in Missouri, I was the only one making films, and that enabled me to be whoever I said I was, and people just believed me, so after I made a couple of films in high school, all of a sudden, I was like this auteur in like Missouri, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I started making Sitting Ducks, that movie, and I like got all the locations, I was like 17 years old, mm-hmm. and
0: I was obsessed with Network by Sidney Lumet, right, okay. and uh, Goodfellow. Yep. And so the movie was just like kind of a seventeen year old's like amalgamation of those two movies. And it
1: didn't it became like a dream for me and it was more about dreaming of the finished product and making it mm-hmm. and like making other movies that I should have been doing. So when that movie fell apart and I made something else instead, I always chased that movie like an albatross. And then at NYU I pitched it senior year to Sam Pollard's class. And my pitch, because I'm really good at performing on stage, my pitch was awesome. And they they were like, they picked me to make my movie senior year. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was, it was the equivalent of like putting on pants you wore when you were in high school, but you're like in college now and they don't fit. Gotcha. But yet I didn't know who it was and I, I just pursued it and I believed everything everyone said. I think... If I could go back, I'd, I'd make some movie with my DV camera that's experimental and not spend any money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I went out with all my friends at the time, which was like, we're going to get people to give you money for this movie. I asked my parents for money to help me make the movie. Mm-hmm. And we're going to a DP and we're going to make this look so professional and I'm going to make a little mafia film to avenge... My uh, high school year is not having made
0: that movie in high school. And it was a mistake. I, I wish I'd done something new and let the past be the past. Because well, yeah, yeah. that movie is not. You get it. Yeah, I've had a lot of scripts like that, things that I've chased for a long time, and then when it comes time to actually putting it into action years later, I, I can't say I actually went through with it and made it, but there were times I've definitely turned away from a project and realized that this is something I was interested in five or six years ago. And it was kind of a dream rather than something I actually want to invest time in.
1: You, do you, um, cause your work is so in the moment when I watch it, it looks like you are, you, you combine, you do narrative stuff and you write and you do like narrative films, but you're also, even your narrative films like have this documentary style where it's like, I'm living in the moment. I'm recording what I'm seeing and then I'm turning that into a finished product. Um, do, I mean, is it easy for you to
0: make films because of that? Are you always ready to roll on whatever you're doing? And You know what I mean? Yeah, in a, in a way. Um, it's a combination of, I do believe in making something in the moment, and I think a lot of times that kind of creates the most realistic scenarios and the most uh, truthful shots and all that kind of thing. Uh, it also grows out of just practicality sometimes of, uh, not having the, the money or the setup or, uh, the, the, the means to do something so, you know, high end and long term. Um, so instead I'll, you know, I'll keep recording everything that's happening and find kind of the drama or uh, the narrative in real life. And then, like you said, in post, turn it into a more finished product. Um, so it's kind of somewhere in between, uh. The practicals of experimental filmmaking and an ideal that I believe in that, you know, kind of your first thought is your best thought and uh, run with it. And by documenting, you find something very truthful and uh, very realistic. Yeah.
1: I like that movie you made on your Vimeo channel. What is your wife's name again? Hadass. Hadass. Hadass, yeah. You and Hadass
0: are like, just like walking together through the subway and you jump the subway. You know the one I'm talking about? Uh, well, yeah, that was like um, a, a vlog that I made. That was like a series of vlogs I was doing. Um, do you differentiate? Would you say like that is a vlog that's not one of my proper films? Exactly. <laughs> but that's weird because everything you do is like something that's your work, which it
1: is. I don't know. I thought like there's a scene where like you and her are at like lunch somewhere. You're at like a nice restaurant. And you just like point the camera at her and she kind of like does this. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop filming me. But it's, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've ever done that kind of filmmaking. Well, Stan Brackage did it. I'll let you talk. But let me just say, Stan Brackage did that too. And I love him. But it's uh, like we were talking about Kenneth Anger. Like I, mm-hmm. like, I always have to have my movies be, I know what the story is here. And uh, I'm trying to work on being more like you, or I'm not sure, sh- you know what I mean? Or maybe that's just my style.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just really a quick answer to what you're saying there um, about working in the moment and everything. I think, well, for that t- that vlog that uh, that you're talking about there, that was part of an exercise I did for a month where every day I wanted to release one video um, so I made 30 of those or, you know, 31 of those, um, over the course of that month and every day shot an entire thing, stayed up all night, edited it, and just wanted to see if I could do it for a solid month, um, to kind of flex the like artistic muscle or the creative muscle or something. Uh, cause there are times when I feel somewhat burnt out or I don't have a good idea or whatever. So it, I'll turn it into a time of like training in a way. Um, yeah. but know, knowing also that I'll publish them and, you know, they will be looked at or whatever so you have that accountability yeah um you were, you were talking about some of your early films and everything maybe we could jump back I'd love to hear your story because you said you were a uh, auteur in Missouri I'll, I'll, we will get to me weren't you also that in upstate New York well no I'm, I'm not from upstate New York I grew up in Westchester oh uh, okay which okay. is north of Manhattan by you know half an hour or something for um, sure so for you know, like for all you Midwesterners who uh, come to to New York, you you, you call it Upstate New York, um, but no, it's a suburb north of the city. So, so it's our flyover country. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, go back to your question. Sorry. Okay, I was, I was just saying, saying for, for in Missouri, you said you were this uh, like auteur there. You uh, kind of created this identity and everything, and that's like a very. I feel like there are a lot of similarities in how we grew up. We can get into that, but also that experience, I'm sure, is something totally different than anything uh, my context growing up. So I would love to hear just kind of your story from, from the start. Sure. By the way, I think you and I both have parents that are married, right? Like yeah. are still married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we have that in common. We grew up in, like, that two-parent household. Yeah. So our daughters came in different ways. There, There are a lot of things in your films that I see is very similar to my upbringing. Um, I watched the majority of the documentary you made about your grandfather, and just that that family setting there seemed very familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, okay. So,
1: um, my, this, and this is something, like, we had a pre-call just exposing, and uh, you and I talked about, like, oh, what are we going to talk about? And I was like, the one thing I want to talk about is how, like, how much I love Fantasia as a kid. Mm -hmm. That is true. I tie a lot of my artistic identity back to the movies that I love the most, not because I'm some media freak who just has to watch TV and movies all the time, but like a lot of kids, I was like put in front of a VHS player when I was really little while my dad worked and my mom did her thing. And uh, I just remember what I gravitated towards, and it was, like, the movie Fantasia when I was, like, three years old.
0: Mm. <laughs> it's still my favorite movie. I, I've always loved that movie. Which is totally um, experimental in its own right, right? And it's like, I didn't know that then. Because I
1: had two older sisters, and they had, like, all the princess movies on VHS, and they had all that Disney stuff. And Fantasia was, like, the movie they had that they didn't really like and I grabbed Fantasia. So it wasn't like a super masculine choice per se, but it wasn't like a princess movie. It kind of helped me forge my own identity.
0: L- let me interrupt you for one second. Like what you were just saying yeah. about watching Fantasia there and everything, I love that because I feel like experimental film is one of those things, if you show a child you know, something quote experimental, often they they eat it up without second guessing it or something and it's not until you're much older that you're, you become so familiar with, you know, format and the structure of uh, narrative film and all of this, that then that seems weird. Um, but that, that childhood gaze is something that, you know, I'm obsessed with. And I think, um, it, you know, the perfect audience for experimental film is uh, three-year-olds. <laughs> yeah.
1: When it's not pointing a camera at a woman's vagina while she gives birth. Although maybe maybe... We should let kids see that too. It's the miracle.
0: Of- <laughs> yeah, or maybe, maybe not a Kenneth Anger film where uh, somebody's being brutally beaten and uh, tortured in a in a church by uh, some kind of Nazi uh, uh, motor occult miracle. motorcyclists.
1: Right before he pisses in the helmet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no,
1: I, I agree with that though. That's a really good point because I dated a girl in uh, in New York who also loved Fantasia as a little kid. It's like, I, but there are then there are people that are like that movie bored the shit out of me when I was a kid. So I think it clues you into if you're into that stuff and if you're curious about that element of filmmaking. And I think okay, so this actually brings me to a point I definitely want to wanted to make because when I was prepping for this interview, I was like, well, Granville's like a real experimental filmmaker. I'm not doing that. But I was like, wait a minute. I don't know if it's like, yes, we like experimental film, but not for the sake of it. I think that. We are just—I don't know. It's like we're kind of taught to stick to a narrative and how films are supposed to look. And if we try to explore that, even within the confines of a conventional plot, it's
0: considered strange or boring. And I don't get why. Mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. wait, wait, say, so, uh, wait, like elaborate on that. What do you mean that you find that, that that the narrative structure you got bored with or something? Well, I mean, a lot of people like maybe more like people that have more normal tastes, conventional tastes. Yeah.
1: They say like, "Oh, this movie is weird." And or like this Casabetti's movie is boring. But I'm like, "No, this it like faces, this has like a this has an arc and it goes somewhere. It's just it just takes more time to explore the elements that we don't usually see." And and I feel like our society doesn't embrace that mm-hmm, in a convention- mm-hmm so I never think of myself as super experimental. I just think that what I like is a lot of times outside of what mainstream movies and
0: audiences like. Absolutely, and one like one point to that you brought up faces. There are so many moments in Casavetti's films between characters where you see a truly unique set of emotions or something that almost it feels weird seeing it. You don't know how to interpret it. And sometimes it takes a lot of time to kind of let it sit in your, your brain and stew and everything. And then you think back and you say, that was a completely new interaction. Um, and it's something that could have happened in real life. And, uh, it, you know, but because of this structure, we never, we've never we never seen anything like that. Yeah, for sure. I'm thinking of, like, in faces when she's, when Jenna Rollins is at the end, like, singing.
1: God, I love Jenna Rollins. Crash can and it just closes up on her and she starts crying and that's like a beautiful moment because it's like she's she's a sex worker but she has feelings and she's definitely someone's like one night stand but she you get a lot about how she has feelings and how she's a real person in this drama absolutely and how their, their one night stand is just as emotionally valid as anything else happening emotionally in the film absolutely. which was probably pretty radical for 1968
0: yeah yeah. Well, again, with, the, with Kenneth Anger's stuff, I was looking at his things. saying, some of his films came out in the 40s. I know, Fireworks. I'm like, how the, how the freak did that get made? Yeah, you can curse. I did it. <laughs> like That's so oh, cool. That would have blown my mind in 1947. I, I think it was banned or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I, I was shocked. I rewatched it and I said, when did this come out? 1947, is that it?
1: I, get, I think so.
0: Fireworks, I, I think so. I think so also, yeah. I, yeah it's incredible. It, I can't believe it. Yeah,
1: that movie. So, okay, going back, to, I was just going to say, like, Fantasia carved out just a, a weirdness for me, and I also love the show Space Goes Coast, Coast to Coast when it was on Cartoon Network, and I knew I was weird in a good way from an <laughs> early age. that's never been a problem for me. I've had other insecurities, but I've always known that, like, I'm a weirdo in a good way, and I think that's, like, driven me a lot in life. When mm-hmm. I make choices, I stand by them artistically. Maybe not in fashion or in how I talk to girls, but in my my artistic stuff, I've always known that I've had a taste in movies and in stuff that I like, and mm-hmm. I'm good with. And that's how I carved out that auteur thing, and like it was how I was able to talk to girls. It was how I was able to like um, feel powerful in high school, because I was kind of a nerd. It was like, well, but I'm a good filmmaker, and I'm a good performer, mm-hmm. and that was how I was like, my niche, and I was able to like wrap, latch onto
0: that. Yeah, you like mine yourself in that way. You find your unique thing, and then ride that and turn that into your power, rather than you know the clothes or whatever else you say. You know. Yeah. Were you like?
1: Did you do that whole thing? Like, did you ever have to make a decision about what lunch table you sat at or who to hang out with in
0: high school? or Were you just doing your thing? In high school, no, I was doing my own thing. I was uh, sitting in a video room by myself editing. Um <laughs> did you know that what you were making was weird? Or did, to you was it totally normal to make the stuff you were making? No, it was totally normal. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. I didn't I didn't think of it as weird or anything. And I didn't formally know experimental film. It was actually it was in high school that I was first introduced to experimental film. I had a teacher who showed us Dog Star Man by Stan Brackage. And he was Which is like a an hour long movie. <laughs> yeah, and he was subsequently fired from the school. Um and like the the two or three film real like film geeks in the school had like we had petitions going for him and everything to keep him there. Um but he was like a, a college professor who was showing us you, you know, uh, Maya Darren and uh Stan Brakhage and all this stuff. And uh, you That's... know, 99% of the kids there were there to like goof off. It was video class. Um And, you know, they had no idea what was going on. They'd say, what the fuck is this? And, uh, but to me, you know, I saw that and something switched my brain where I said, I love this. You know, this is, this is, there's something incredible here. Did he
1: show you guys, uh, do you remember if he showed you At Land, the Maya Darren movie on the beach, the famous
0: one? Yeah, I think, I think so. So, Because that's such a visual, kind of like Fantasia, that's such a visual film. Oh, absolutely. You can watch that movie and be like, this is, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. With the mirrors and the hoods on the beach. What? So with, with, with the mirrors and the hoods on the beach yeah, and everything. Seventh yeah. like, like, Seal, I think, which is like, I think Seventh Seal carries
1: that. You know what I mean? Like I think Seventh Seal was like moving on from that movie.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so the cool thing, I and I was pretty film literate for a high schooler in the middle of nowhere. But like, I had never heard of Maya Darren until NYU.
0: Okay. Um, Anger, probably my freshman year at NYU. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, cool that you had a teacher doing that. I had a teacher who taught me Hitchcock. Okay, yeah, that was like, that was the life changer for me. Me too. But I, I had, Hitchcock was before uh, Dog Star Man. Any of that? Like I also loved Hitchcock and all those fifties. You know, more mainstream, but also weird films or old old school yeah. classics.
1: Yeah, it's crazy to think that he was. Um, like, the master of suspense, but he was also making the most innovative, weird stuff out there at the time. It is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think about, like, Citizen Kane kind of in that way also. The first time I saw Citizen Kane, it didn't even strike me as so innovative or anything. It seemed almost like an old-fashioned film, and it wasn't until a lot later that I really learned to appreciate that, in the same way of Hitchcock or something, but...
1: Like the newsreel at the start, you know?
0: Yeah. And then you're like watching a newsreel for like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you think this is the film, and then like all of a sudden it like cuts off, and there are these like super French new wavy shots in the projection room, and you see the smoke, and you're like, oh god, wait, this is not. This is like a whole other type of movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really cool. No, but it's funny that the opening scene at the Pleasure Palace of Xanadu. God. <laughs> i'm pretty sure i tried to watch that movie as a little kid and i was
1: like fuck this this is stupid and then in ninth grade or whenever i was like okay i might as well get through this and i'm glad i did because then you're like no this is uh
0: this is great my favorite movie is like uh magnificent ambersons though have you seen that one no i haven't yeah
1: we'll talk i'm really dying for you
0: to see that movie okay awesome um, okay, so take me back again to Missouri. What Give me, like, a, a visual of the scene there. Um, super Christian, super mm. conservative, super white. Um, but
1: I think sometimes people assume that that means it was like, oh, that's like a super racist redneck. And yes, those people were definitely there. But it's more like, I don't know, it's just like a world where everybody's the same. So you're not seeing any kind of, like, antagonism or racism people go out of their way quote unquote not to be racist but it's like your world is like 98% white and then everything becomes like stratas in that world Mm -hmm. so um, I don't know like I was a weirdo and that's all I I knew I was weird because I wasn't trying to like go hunting or build my cousin was like a financial advisor it was
2: all about like being into sports hunting and like making a good career Mm -hmm -hmm. and the one and that was just weird um
1: you know and i'm thankful that my parents didn't shoot me down 100 on that but i think that enabled me to kind of like i don't know go out and do it however i thought i should do it instead of worrying about how other people were doing it so like getting a mini dv camera and just like just filming what the ideas i had and like i showed i sent you that movie working class and it's like that movie is a Wes Anderson ripoff, but that's okay because Wes Anderson like was the only thing I knew that was different at the
0: time. Right, yeah, yeah. Where did the actual interest in filmmaking come out of? Like, when did you purchase that DV camera?
1: It was that was freshman year of high school, and it came from the combination of the Hitchcock. My I had an English teacher, kind of like your teacher, that showed you bracket. I had an English teacher who believed in me because of my essay writing. Mm. And he would very. He took me aside and said, you're very good at writing. And I was like 11 at the time, so I was very young. And he had offered a class for the summer on Hitchcock. And I had never heard of anything like that before. The idea of going
2: to school to watch a movie was like alien to me. But he was from out of town and he was smart.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I for this class and he told me I can't teach it unless I have five, at least five people and you're the only one who signed up. But he like actually did me a favor and taught the class anyway. So I would go to school on a summer day and like sit with him in his office and he'd wheel in like the big cart that they put the analog TV on. Oh yeah, of course. A VHS player on the second rack and we'd watch Hitchcock movies and we watched five Hitchcock films. Um, Including a couple, including To Catch a Thief, Rear Window, Shadow of a Doubt with Joseph Cotton, which is really good. And he taught me simple things like, look, Hitchcock is playing cards with spades, and he has all spades in his poker hand. That's a symbol for, like, he doesn't believe in his film. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, like, look at this person and the shadows they cast. He just taught me how to read a film as, like, metaphor. Mm. So that was my introduction to, like, actually seeing artistry in film.
0: Yeah, yeah, That's interesting. I remember that point also when I started watching probably Italian films or something in like high school time. And the same thing, all of a sudden I realized, oh, films can be so much more, you can read them as a metaphor. And it was kind of one of these, you know, light bulb moments where it's uh, it said there are films that are just entertainment and story. And then there are films that are like a book or something like that, that you can... Watch and analyze in a completely different way, a much more complicated way. Yeah,
1: it's 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 cool. Um, did you ever? Were you a fan of Wes Anderson at all? N-
0: not until later. Um, I'm still. Okay. I still. I, I, I you know respect the hell out of him and everything. Still not you were maybe. Watching Italian films. <laughs> Sorry. You were watching neo-realism and Italian films while hey. I was watching. Anderson. It's okay. <laughs> Maybe aesthetically not my favorite uh, director ever, but I mean, yeah. like, Rushmore I love. I think that's a great story. I've watched that film ten times. That's, that's the movie... His first three movies, I think, are his best movies. Mm-hmm. And I think after that, he got a little bit... You know how directors get
1: where they kind of, like, become consumed by their style? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, Rushmore, like, spoke to me. So I guess my point ultimately was, like, Hitchcock taught me about the metaphor in film, and then Wes Anderson taught me about, like, you could use the camera as a very personal diary to say exactly what you were feeling. Mm-hmm. And and I think that combination of that made me want to go out and make movies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: One more thing to add on to that, I've always been a comedy fan and a song and dance kind of guy, yeah. and Mel Brooks movies also inspired me just because he was like, he was known to be an on-camera performer, but he also made movies like Young Frankenstein, where it's like, I'd watch the DVD special features, and I'd see him directing. Mm-hmm. And that also inspired me. I was like, oh wait, this guy can go behind the camera and craft a vision
0: even for a comedy movie. And I think that also like made me excited. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. As a kid also, there's DVD behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, that was almost better than the actual movie in most cases. Yeah. TA <laughs> DA made a great point. He was like, Film school, like you can go to film school, but you can also just like watch DVD commentaries. And, yeah, and right. So, definitely, very true. I was gonna ask you one Robert, of the Robert, great by Robert Altman does amazing commentaries. Go ahead. I have to watch it. Yeah, definitely. I was gonna ask you one thing because you were talking about Rushmore and everything. In some ways, I see a thread of that in your work too. I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but something about this almost like um, puppy love or something. In your film, in your films a lot, I see like even in in uh, most haunted house in Brooklyn, at at the end of it, there's this very uh, kind of he chooses the girl, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't want to go inside the house because they don't know they, it'll ruin it for them. Right. Like, yeah. They they just kind of choose love with each other. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but even even in your early work, I see there's like the like a uh, vinyl. There's this thing between the girlfriend and boyfriend, and it's very innocent. And, there, you know, this one ends on a negative note. Maybe it's the, the opposite of Most Haunted House in Brooklyn. The, you know, vinyl, they go into the house and they break up or whatever. But but there's something there, a very uh, innocent and, and pure love or something, that I, I see in, in Rushmore as well.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. Maybe, okay, let me ask you this. Because I... And I feel bad saying this to you because I I am a, I am think you're one of the most original people that I do know, and I mean that. But when I, I always tell people that don't know you when I'm talking about you, I say, well, he's like our brackage. He's the guy that, like, he's doing... I mean it. I'm like, he's like our brackage. Um, and that's not to compare you, but is it possible that, like, because you started with brackage back in the day without volunteering for it, that a lot of your work
0: has that personal diary slash narrative combination style. Oh, absolutely. I'm hugely influenced by Brackage. Yeah. I mean, when I first saw Dog Star Man and then my other favorite, um, I'm going to screw up the title here, but Window Water Moving Baby. Window Water Baby Moving, and that's my favorite too. My favorite. I I saw that and I fell in love. I just thought that was incredible. and a lot of what I do grows straight out of that. Um, you know, I can't help but being influenced by it. That movie... I don't want to,
1: like... I know we're talking about movies a lot, but I love this movie. That movie is so great because it it's like two parts. Mm-hmm. And the first part is just his beautiful pregnant wife.
2: Mm-hmm. And then the
1: second part is the birth. And oh. I've shown that movie to so many of my bro friends. And they're like, ugh! And I think <laughs> Daryl Wilson, who you and I both had at NYU yeah. we both love, he was like, I never understood why people don't like this movie. It's like, you'll watch someone get their head shot off in a Tarantino movie, but it's like, this is the creation of life.
0: It's fucking beautiful that she's having a baby. Like, why do we think this is gross? Absolutely. I've done the same thing. I've shown it to people, like, it's like bros and, you know, very mainstream people. And they're like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's, that makes me happy. Did, but you did not film... Your son's name is Je, Jedi? Jediah? Jediah. Jediah. You didn't film Jediah's birth, right? That didn't happen. Oh, I did. Absolutely. Oh, you did, but you haven't put it up yet. No, I just finished a my second feature film, which is being copyrighted by the government or whatever right now. Um, and I haven't shown it anywhere. And it's about... Uh, Hadass being pregnant, and we were living in New Orleans at the time, um, and the birth of our son. I'm excited. This is American Dream, right? Yeah, this is American Dream. Um, And yeah, I I absolutely filmed the birth. Very inspired by Brackage. So there's like, um, American Dream and then uh, Nacklin are your two big feature films, right? Those are the two full feature length works I've done, yeah. That has to be crazy to look at those two films since you were in, you're in such different life stages for each of them. Absolutely, yeah. What do you think of Knacklin when you watch it now? As a representation of the time and physically and mentally where I was at a, at a point in my life. Yeah. And so you're able to
1: work your shit and be okay with it. You don't necessarily
0: hate your stuff. No, I don't. There are very few things I've made that I hate. I think there are things, there are things I look back on and I disagree with, not really even disagree, but I've changed from the message I was trying to get across or something like that. Um, but I, I think all my stuff, I've really strived to be truthful in the time that I was making it. So while, while I've changed from it and I can like reflect on it in that way, it's not something that I say, you know, oh, that was a, you know, a mistake or, or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. I love that. I mean, for the most part, I do feel the same way where I like... I enjoy going back to films once in a while. I definitely, I think, want to change a lot of stuff. You know, I'm like, oh man, if I could have just done that differently, that would have been a much better movie. Like, working class, I'm like, this if this was funnier. You know, like, <laughs> I go through that, but I also try to embrace... And I learned this from, like, a. I saw an interview with Scorsese, and he's like, I don't go back and recut my films. That's the movie you made. It's okay.
0: That's who you were. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that that statement completely. The one difference I have with it is there's sometimes I've looked back and for like legal reasons or something, I've changed something. For example, there are a few films I made that I had a copyrighted song in and I wanted that film to be able to get out into the world with that and be completely original. So then years later, I, I deleted that song and made it organically, hired, you know, a friend to make music or something. Um, but, and I saw that as a necessary change just for where I wanted the film to go. Um, but I, I didn't look back at the content and say, I'm going to re-edit this and, you know, whatever. If I did that, it would be a, a new film or a part two or something. So, so yeah, um, my, I think my biggest
1: strength in my eyes as a filmmaker is my ability to cut to music. And, again, I think that ties back to the Fantasia thing. And um, I was trying to put that movie up on YouTube for you,
0: Vinyl, and they blocked it because of the song I used. I know, yeah, yeah. It's so hard for me to go back and change music. Was it hard for you to have to make that decision to have someone compose, or were you fine with it? No, I was fine with it because it, it was one of those things at the time. It was kind of also like an F.U. to the... You know, politically correct world or the, the censorship world, all this kind of stuff. And now I see it as original is cooler. Um, if I can make it myself, it I think it's even more interesting. Uh, but that, but that's with only certain films. There are other things where I have copyrighted music in and whatnot. And I, I'm never going to change it. I like it how it is, and it is an like FU or whatever. And I don't care if it gets out there. I'm a proponent of like I wish we had a fair use law in this
1: country that was more expansive and protected people like you and me who are making something not necessarily for monetary gain and if we are then it's okay but if we're not we should be able to use a
0: Beatles song if we want if that fits whatever we're doing. Absolutely I think also I I am totally against just taking something and ripping it off 100% if you steal a Beatles song and say I made this of course you know I'm against that however if you modify that song and you know, put your creative spin on it. I think it should be fair use.
1: Yeah, and like, how much amazing music has come from sampling famous music that was just like remixed and done in a really weird way? It it is part of the artistic like evolution of something, right? And, absolutely. And I'll keep the conversation going because when Kanye West releases an album the first thing we all do, I mean, not the first thing, but like we all figure out what samples he used and we go back to those songs and we listen to the original 45s, at least I do. And it's like, this is so cool. This is such an art form in and of itself is like mashing up. Like Sometimes I'll go crate digging and I'll buy records out of the 99 cent bin and I just try to like, I'm not like a music producer necessarily, but I try to find moments that I think are interesting that maybe I can like chop up mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Use somehow because that gives
0: the song a new life hmm yep, definitely. And even from a business perspective, like you just said, you go back and you try to find the original samples and then buy those, you know, LPs or whatever. Even from a business perspective, I think it's a stupid business idea to say we have to shut this down because they took four seconds from the original song or something. It makes no sense to me. I agree. Yeah. It's world. Yeah. Well, okay, but let's get on to, back to your filmmaking uh, and your use of music, because that's something throughout, from your early stuff, up to Oh, also, I wanted to say something else about, it. again, our uh, kind of shared uh, childhood interests here, whatever. I was listening to one of your, I was watching one of your early films, and you had in there, of course, like a lot of classic rock and everything, but even like Donovan. Yeah, yeah. I love Donovan. <laughs> Me too, man, in high school. I, I always was, not, I was I... Right, hold on. Just wait a second, because I, I just
1: went to the record store and I bought this one the other day. This Donovan album from
0: 1968. And this is the one with Atlantis that's in Goodfellas when they beat Billy Bats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Donovan's like an artist, man. He,
1: he started out as a Dylan ripoff, but he, he found
0: his own way. Anyway, go on. Absolutely. And now Donovan is with uh, David Lynch. He's in his Transcendental Meditation, uh, the whole thing. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, the two of them have like gone on stage together and introduced uh, David Lynch's films and the Transcendental Meditation uh, Revolution and all this kind of stuff. But going back to just the music you use in films and everything, they, can you talk about that at all? Because I think, like, and you just brought up Scorsese also, I see a lot of influence in the way Scorsese uses music, the way you use music, uh, specifically, I guess, classic rock, but also just accenting certain scenes and... The focus really being on the song in, in certain sections. Yeah. Um, yeah, as I
1: said earlier, it's my biggest, I think it's the thing where when I watch movies, I always think that's where I nail it. Um, like adult Will looks at something that like 14-year-old Will did and said like, yeah, I would have done it today that way. Um, yeah. That's the only other filmmaking I feel that way about. Mm-hmm. I think, You think, again, it ties back to the Fantasia thing. It's, I've always been into music. And I think there's a fascinating way that music and image syncs up. Kenneth Anger is a huge, like, filmmaker that does that. It, Scorpio Rising, is like, it's his visual contributions, but then he adds these audio
0: contributions that are not his. Uh, absolutely, and that and that discrepancy between the songs that are playing and what you're seeing adds this whole other element that it, yeah. is manifested, and it's it brings it just brings the whole thing to a new level.
1: Yeah. But like it's weird because you put a song on a movie, and I think people would be surprised how much the song and the movie just sync up. And it's like you're not—you you do, do a little, little bit, bit of work, work but, but sometimes, sometimes it's like, like oh, God, that was just his—that just, his
2: mm-hmm. just syncs up. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the images just
1: are meant to go together. But I'm—I'm I'm really insecure about that because, uh, um, I would like to do more of my own audio work with my images you know i love it it's a guilty pleasure it's an emotional thing for me to to put songs on my movies but i i kind of want to work with an orchestra and see what i can tell them that would make my movie sound cooler you know what i mean i want to do that myself more and do more of the
0: work absolutely i think if you can direct that part of it as well It'll bring something that's very unique um, and will do what you're doing with... I mean, I think there is always a place for, you know, songs that are out there and everything, the way Anchor uses it or Scorsese or, you know, whatever. Uh, but also, I think there's a place for unique music and original music and everything, and that's a whole nother experience. Yeah, and uh, are you a PTA fan? Yeah, sure. Um, not, like, ravenously, but, yeah. All right, right. Okay,
1: so anyway... Inherent Vice is a really good example where that whoever's listening to this podcast who likes that movie, that movie has a ton of great Johnny Greenwood score, mm. but then it, you pop songs that just nail it. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. I kind of want to move in that direction. Like, let's use pop songs or um, classical or whatever when it works, but let's also make sure that we're getting someone in who's interpreting the film and making a score that fits it.
2: Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh,
1: you're going to think I'm trying to make this about you again, but I'm just saying, uh, Nacklin, the thing I like most about Naclin is that it actually treats the visual and audio track as equal things. Because um, the audio track in Naclin is unique, but it fits the image, and one is not more important than the other. Um, do you agree with that interpretation?
0: I do. Um, I, wor- I work very closely with the guy who made the music. Uh, he also made the music for American Dream, um, I mean, American Dream has some other players on it, uh, but he really composed the majority of the music again, um, and it's and also and when I screened Nocklin live, um, he had the music on a, a live mix there going along with it, and was like ro- and was writing it, you know, based on the scene and the audience and everything. So absolutely, it was a and I've also done other like experimental uh, presentations where the music was not only mixed live, but also actually created live. Um where I had visuals going and we had like samples or whatever, but it was it was mixed live, uh you know not not in terms of audio levels, but I'm saying actual tracks were mixed live. So we still I feel like haven't finished up with the the Missouri days.
2: Huh.
0: and what uh <laughs> Huh I was joking. I was just like, what do you want to know? I was kidding. I <laughs> well, happy to talk purpose. I wanna hear about your transition then out of high school and into NYU and how you decided eventually that this is what you wanted to do. You wanted to go to NYU for film um, and then about, you know, making the decision to move to New York City. Uh, Had you ever been to New York before NYU? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So NYU, um, it was a big deal for me to go to NYU. Um, Long story short, NYU was my dream school and I didn't get into virtually any college except that one. Um, So it was like a miracle that I got to go. And in Missouri, I can't overstate this. This was like we had the internet, but it wasn't as ubiquitous in the 2000s as it is now.
2: Mm -hmm. And it was a big deal to go far away and do something like that. It was a big deal
1: to go to a place where every bit of information you wanted was available at your fingertips. Now I think everyone everywhere has that because the internet's amazing. Um, I don't know. That was a big deal for me and like – the reason I wanted to go to NYU was because of Scorsese, um, because I saw in his film something that I didn't see in George Lucas or Steven Spielberg. I saw something personal that I related to, and I, I just saw NYU as like the, the school where you'd make something like the movie Mean Streets. I thought that was where you went, which is why I wrote Sitting Ducks, by the way.
0: Uh, yeah, it, it just... Had an inclination, yeah. but yeah I I idolized for a
1: minute I kind of idolized Scorsese and uh, I'm glad I did even though looking back I'm like oh you know I idolized them too much I'm glad I did because it it propelled me towards NYU and I really put everything into that application and I remember dropping the application off in a FedEx box in Joplin Missouri on like a barren winter day in the middle of a field (laughs) and uh, when I got in uh, that was like one of the happiest days of my life it was huge.
0: Wow. So you had been to New York City before that, though. One time, my dad took me just to visit the school. Mm, Wow. We
2: stayed like at a hotel in Times Square, and back then I thought Times Square was actually cool and not a piece of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it says cool, like that
0: you just want to avoid at all costs. What What did you think of New York City the first time you went there? Because I I love New York City. I, you know, like I said, I grew up uh, twenty minutes north of the city and everything. So I had been in and out of the city the whole my whole life, but when people come in for the first time, I love that seeing their reaction and just seeing what what you know turns them on about uh, New York and everything. Did you have what was your experience like the first time you you saw Manhattan? Um, it was so opposite from what I had
1: known that I instantly associated it with like your brain being on all the time and not turning off ever. And, and that was what I would say it was. It was like, oh, this is a place where people actually reach their full potential instead of settling or, like, only doing things half of the time. Because um, I hate to say this, and I'm a struggling artist in Hollywood right now, full disclosure, so sometimes I'm tempted by this lifestyle. But where I grew up, it was very much about making reasonable conservative choices about your life. And New York, when I went there, it felt like, wow, anything is possible. And suddenly it felt like this city was running at the speed that my brain at the time was running.
0: Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense.
1: And we also, we visited NYU and I fell in love with it. I've always loved NYU. I still do. Um, And when my dad and I, my dad still jokes with me because he's like a very straight-laced kind of person. And when we got off the elevator at Tish, these kids were talking about Barry Lyndon. Which, Granal, you and I are like two of ten people who like
0: adore that film. Oh my god, yeah. But like, my dad to this day
1: jokes with me. I knew you were meant to be at that school because, like, I and like Barry Lyndon, I had to special order it off Amazon when I was in high school. And like, uh, it was cool to like hear some kids talking about Barry Lyndon. I was like, oh my god, there are other people out there that love what I love.
0: Wow, yeah, that's amazing. Very cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, what was... So you grew up with New York. What is... Okay, I kind of wanted to ask you this. You're a very... Because you live in a rural area now, right? Right, yeah. And
0: uh, I love rural stuff. You seem to gravitate towards it. Does does your art benefit or slash suffer from being in a city versus like New York versus being in the open country? No, I really don't think so. I mean, I think one of the main things to me is new experiences. Um, So like moving when I went to NYU and moved into New York and every into the city, um, that experience influenced my work so much. And now I'm living in a very different place and that's influencing my work in a new way. Um, But I also feel like as long as I have a room, and a computer with the internet, I could kind of be dropped anywhere and just let everything filter through that. Um, so, no, I think to me, it's a matter of just keeping productive and everything, and I don't feel that the culture surrounding me like speeds that up or slows that down necessarily. I
1: will say, don't edit this out. I don't think you will. I knew you when you didn't even
0: have a room. There was... <laughs> We're sleeping on Zack Stone's roof. We all know it's true. Uh, that is true. <laughs> I mean, do you not get stressed out in New York? I get a little stressed out with all the people and just, I don't know. Does that not happen to you? Not really, no. I i kind of thrive on it. I, I never really felt stressed out, no.
1: That's cool. I mean, that shows that you can do anywhere.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think in a way I can. Um I mean, there are certain things that are necessary for creating art and everything, just having a computer and basic things like that. Um, But I think I could kind of be dropped anywhere and make it work for for me, at least. Yeah. No, for sure. Well, yeah, to what you
1: asked me, Missouri was... It was definitely a great place to grow up. Um, And I think you and I had an exchange when I showed you my george lucas is a punk bitch playlist right and you were like i love these middle america christians and i don't mean that you said like i don't mean that in a sarcastic way and i agree with you i'm in the same
0: place oh good i will well i literally thought about i've been thinking about that one line in that email for like the last five months or whenever i wrote it to you because i was like i hope he doesn't like misinterpret it i was thinking like oh maybe he's like stewing over there being like oh like Huh. Uh, Grinnell is Grinnell left uh, left the art world and is now just uh, some Midwest Christian or something. I don't know, but uh, good. I'm glad you you got no, it the I'm way I meant it. Wrong. I think that um, the fact that you don't demonize people
1: based on like what part of the country they come from or what their religious beliefs are seems to fall in line with what I know about you. It's like, look, yeah, we may be liberal people. Um, in my case I'm pretty liberal these days but I'm also a moderate because of where I came from so I have some of those like ingrained Christian values Absolutely. But it's like you, you just learn to see people as people and I think that that when you're like tuned into the media it's very easy to like um, see where people are like kind of stereotyping or demonizing people um, and it's like no it, people are people even the ones that are really fucked up which we have many of those fucked up people in the world they, they come from a place where they're hurt or they're insecure or their worldview has been challenged and they're not willing to own their mistakes because they have never been taught to do so. And it kind of triggers this whole kind of, you know, stiff
0: tree in a hurricane, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, Very interesting. I agree completely. And I think that's the thing is people are people. You have people are good people or bad people, regardless of their beliefs or ideologies or whatever. Um, and if I can, like, relate to you on a, you know, a real level, an artistic level, a, a moral level, something like that, that to me is, speaks way more than, you know, your, your the beliefs you grew up with or something like that.
1: Yeah, and uh, this actually, I wanted to make this point about Kenneth Anger because I am, for the most part, straight. Um, yeah, I'm a straight guy. I, I, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm a Christian. I grew up Christian. And uh, Kenneth Anger is like a gay Satanist. And mm-hmm. Most of his films are like propaganda for being like Satanists, and they also deal with his upbringing as a gay man in uh, Hollywood at a time when a time when you know why the movie Fireworks kind of makes this clear you could be killed for being gay. Um, and yet, I relate to all those gay films just as much. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Like, but some, I mean, replace the muscular men with Asian girls and I understand this film. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, Kenneth Anger, it's
0: like, he's just relatable because of his artistry. Yeah, absolutely. And the, way he, and the way he communicates
1: his emotions, it has nothing to do with how different my background is from how different his background
0: is. Absolutely. And re-watching the Kenneth Anger films and everything, I was looking at them and trying to think about if I knew nothing about anger, what, you know, how would I interpret these films or something. And I mean, also I think that of course like a lot of his his shots and everything are very homoerotic and all this but also they are shots of the beauty of the body and uh, you know both yes. and both sexes also what, what is the other film Poose uh what, what is the the third film moment. which Puss push moment. moment yeah exactly i mean that that is the beauty of that woman in the film um and you know and for that matter fireworks or um uh, scorpio rising or thing you have these shots of the beauty of the male body, and outside of knowing anger or something, I, I would look at that as aesthetically beautiful without any, um, you know, uh, any, any kind of... To, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: I Oh, totally. And it's, it's where I grew up, you know, in the 2000s, and this was before, I mean, this was I don't, I mean, nobody was hurting anyone who was gay, but it was, it was, you would be ashamed if you were gay mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. and, and yet, I don't know, it's like, there's this stigma about being like, yeah, look, those dudes have beautiful
0: bodies, and right. I can see the way I'm sexualizing them, and like, while that may not be what I personally go for, I do see that sexuality and how beautiful those guys are. Absolutely. And, I don't know. It's just, I don't, it's weird to me that there was even a stigma growing up where you couldn't say something like that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, I also wanted to, the, know, I wanted to bring this I wanted to bring this up, really up with your... I'll tell you real quick before you yeah, say Yeah, yeah, go. I, I like anger's themes of repression because mm.
1: I always feel repressed sexually. Mm-hmm, always. Mm-hmm. You can't have sex unless you're married and you two are
0: Christian and I totally feel that sexual repression. So fireworks... I fucking love that movie. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say also, with your work, I saw a connection to anger in that way. I think your work also has this um, appreciation for the body and and beauty and things like that. Uh, One of the scenes you mentioned to me in vinyl was, um, what's her name, Sybil?
1: uh, Yeah, Sybil, but the actress's name is April,
0: yeah. April, when she's getting getting ready and putting makeup on and everything, you said, this is one of my favorite things I've ever shot or whatever. I looked at, yeah. me too. I thought that scene was incredible. And again, it, it ties into, I think, anger and appreciation for the body and beauty and uh, just uh, nice aesthetics and everything. Yeah. That's uh, that's a good point. Because April, I actually messaged her today, which is why I changed the password. It, the password on the Vimeo was April
1: Hair. Uh-huh. And I didn't want her to think I was, like, idolizing her in a weird way. I just love that shot where she's brushing her hair. And I always think about it because I couldn't have made that scene if that girl didn't agree to be in it. And that girl is now like, she works for a human rights organization in DC. Um, and she was kind of that vibe. It was like when I was in high school, you're always thinking about like, who do I want to date? You know, but like with her, it was like, there's something like really beautiful about this person. And I really want them to be in my movie. Mm-hmm. And i just always found that girl really, um, like pure and beautiful, and so when I watched that movie, I'm like, part of this was like my shots, but part of it was that I could
0: tell that this was like a good soul, you know, like a good example of humanity. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel the same way. I've like sometimes cast people <laughs> because of their souls, and uh, it makes the scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And so I guess, and I, I guess the point I was trying to make was like, I never was like, oh, I want to film this actress and then like fuck her which a lot of like fashion photographers out here, you know, like that's kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm, I can, I do have like a lot of those, obviously like sometimes it goes that way, but I feel like for the most part, like I tend to idealize a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and it, in, in an innocent way. And I think that scene in that movie, the vi- the vinyl movie that like um, is similar to the most haunted house in Brooklyn where I love, I love filming. Her name was Nor. At NYU, I love filming her on 16mm, and my favorite shots in that movie are the ones of her face. And I just... something just works for me. I'm like, I like this face, I like this person's personality. There's just something really beautiful about
0: this, that, it just happens. That's very interesting to me. I, I think there are like people like that who just aesthetically you fall in love with and especially on film on 16 millimeter or something that it it literally adds that layer that that creates the thing that you love and you romanticize their look on film there's a an obsession there with the the face and the and the medium both often i love the artist as much or more than their film even um this is that's it's true of cassavetes um, the, the, you're asking about like working, you know, shooting Hadassah's videos or something. I enjoyed the process of making those videos with her more than maybe the actual video. Um, I, I mean, this isn't an, ex, an exact correlation to Casavetti's because you know I love his films as well, but he's another person who I just enjoy watching move on the screen. I enjoy listening to you know the words that come out of his mouth and things like that. Um, and I think it goes back to what I said originally in our in our introduction, where I said. I appreciated you for being the person who you are and everything. I I, I really liked uh, The Most Haunted Haunted House in Brooklyn and some of the other films you had made, but also it was that I kind of recognized your soul and your goodness or something and wanted to be close to that. And I knew that the work that you would produce would come out of that good place.
1: Thank you. Uh, I just thought of something really funny. We're in a group with three other super talented people and Uh, Two of them were really chill, and one of them was, like, about to lose his mind. You know where I'm
0: going with this, don't you? I know what you're you're talking about, yeah.
1: Yeah, you're talking about one guy who was, like, I'm talking about one guy who was, like, either pretending to or literally losing his mind. This guy is, like, super attractive. He's from Southern California. This guy could probably just go be a model and settle. But he really had a drive for his artistry as well. And I remember one day he corners me at Tish, and he's like, I am obsessed with the frosted flakes and the shining. <laughs> 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 he's like telling me that he's bought all these boxes of frosted flakes. And then like, you're walking by and he's like, Granel and I are writing a book about the use of frosted flakes in the shining. And you were just like, yeah, yeah, we are. And like, then you just kept walking. <laughs> and like You kind of just like gave like a nod and then kept going. That was one of my favorite memories of NYU was like that guy cornering me and you kind of like tacitly nodding and moving on. Your group was the group I always wanted to kind of like be in because all four of you were so great. And I was accidentally in a group that was a little bit different than the way I thought. But I don't, I'm not like crying over spilt milk. It's just like you you were lucky in that way that you were with those three other people. Was it random or did you all know
0: each other? One of them them was Zach Stone, right? Yeah, Zach. Yeah, but Zach, I mean, I was living with and everything, so uh, I definitely knew him. And I think the other guys um, kind of I don't know, fell on or whatever. But
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was really good black and white cinematography in that group. You guys were good at, like, getting the right F-stop, you know, like, you knew how to actually read the light meter. And watching those films was cool because they were crisp pretty do you remember Zach's last film about the plant the house plant
0: oh yeah Yeah, yep that was like a really cool movie yeah yeah. Zach's stuff I always thought was really cool moving on from NYU and everything what you're doing in Hollywood now and where your life has gone post NYU because I haven't really kept up with you in the last five years or whatever it is yes Um,
1: well uh, the album I just did an album for anyone who's listening to this it's available on my YouTube channel it's called George Lucas is a Punk Bitch. And uh, it's like 10 sketch comedy videos that I did. And um, I am out here in Hollywood because I love comedy and I love animation. Mm, okay. and so I try to merge my love for film with my natural love also for showmanship and getting on stage and doing stuff like that. Um I have had, like, industry jobs out here. Like, I PA'd at Family Guy, and I worked on a Showtime series, Penny Dreadful. I was, like, a writer's PA on that show. But I've also kind of seen the hierarchy of how things go out here, and um, I've found a lot of empowerment, actually, in, like, making my own stuff and um, getting ready to get on stage more. So I've kind of, like, gone through that thing recently where I'm like, well, I think it's more important for me to make stuff rather than try to work it. Places as, a, as an underling that makes stuff, and I'm kind of going through that right now. I'm, just, I'm trying to adopt your work ethic out mm. here in Hollywood.
0: Did you work in for a news agency as well? I did
1: back in New York. That was like back right after college. I worked. I really, I always loved Brian Williams, the news anchor guy, because I'm into broadcasters and I like people that are good on camera. <laughs> and he is very good on
2: camera. He's like a genius being on camera mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, i i like interned with him because of that i like
1: sought out that internship and it kind of made me fall into news but i'm not really interested in news i like writing like i like
2: script writing I like narrative you know what i mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i've definitely gotten that route. right now i'm like
1: working at, at fox as like an assistant in their music department but uh it doesn't matter if I say this. It's a job where I can get my work done and write, write, and work on creative stuff on the job, and that's what I'm looking for right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's... I'm doing I'm doing the whole hustle of being out here,
1: mm-hmm. which can be kind of hard because like we do it because we love it as an art form, and there's so much out here that's not. It's not about the art form. It's about the hustle and the politics. So that that's weird. Here's what I would say. I'm never going to stop being the guy that I am, and I think you're the same way. It's like, at the end of the day, it's more important to me to make good stuff than it is to, like, sell out and work on something that is making me a lot of money. I don't know. How do you feel about that?
0: I feel like what you just said about your job, where you have the freedom also to work on your own stuff, um, and it allows you time to write and everything. I think that's, I mean, you know, you have to pay the bills. I think that's very uh, practical and everything. But also, you know, I don't think uh, a job or something like that would, you know, could ever change me to the extent that I would just give up on, you know, this artistic muscle or whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah. And it's, there's a joy of creation. Absolutely. You know what it is. And and again, like, um, the thing I admire most about you is that you make stuff all the time. I've always let procrastination and hesitation get to me. And one of my big goals, starting with George Lucas, is to make stuff a lot. Because I, I see that you do it, and it, it never doesn't pay off. Even when you make something you don't love, it always pays off
0: to make it. That's Yeah, exactly. That's what I think also. It's better to put it out there, to create it, and something will come of it, good or bad, whatever. You did it. Um, and you can move on to the next thing, always.
1: Yeah. Now, I get to ask you, since you got to ask me that, I've been dying to ask you this. Like, A... If you care to talk about what you're doing professionally, you can. Um, I know you're an artist first, but, like, why did – were you ever interested in being in the industry? Ever? Okay, I'm going to preface it by saying something about me because that's what this podcast is really about me. Um, yes, I had experimental – I always loved the experimental and the idea of being behind the camera and all that. But I also, when I was a kid, loved like Jim Carrey movies and I loved The Music Man, The Musical, and I, I loved the whole song and dance performing thing. And my whole career has been a struggle, not a struggle, but maybe trying to merge the two sides. And with you, I've always seen you as like someone who is purely an artist um, in terms of just like wanting to create a film artistically. And uh, I, I was just going to ask you, like, have you ever been someone who wants to be in the entertainment industry
0: itself? No, not per se. Um, I mean, you know, I have a regular job that's like, it's you know, editing and uh, video producing and this kind of stuff for a company, but, so it's like vaguely related. Um, but no, I've never wanted to be in like the Hollywood industry or anything like that.
1: It's crazy. And yet, here I am, like, here I am out here, and again, I think you and I agree on most things in terms of artistic stuff, and yet, here I am out here trying to make it with a cartoon and singing and stuff like that, and you're out there just literally making stuff because of the joy of making it, and uh, I think about this a lot.
0: Well... I mean I don't know though I'm not opposed to Hollywood filmmaking or anything like one of my favorite uh, directors Stanley Kubrick you know a big time studio director I mean you know independent in a way but also you know major uh, pictures and everything I mean I, that also is very appealing to me I just don't think that my path is exactly like you know working as a PA and working up the ladder or something I think it's just a different direction I'm not I'm really not opposed to that um, or opposed to mainstream filmmaking when it's good. It, it, it just, you know, I think it, it is what it is. And you do, you mind yourself and you're, you're good at what you do. And, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I love it. true. You're, you're 100% right. And I was
1: actually going to bring up Cooper because I know you're a big fan. And I, know, I mean, I am too. But my favorite loop that you ever did, your loop video projects, on the raccoons, are not afraid of people. Vimeo channel, quick plug there is uh, a V. You you chose a VHS
2: version of that pristine scene where it says one where where Julia disconnects Hal and it says I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. It's great. and uh, <laughs> No, really, that's that's a really that is a very good loop,
0: but like. That's an example of a Hollywood film, probably in a way. Right. Yeah. It's England. You know what I mean? Exactly. Then, like, yeah, yeah. This amazing existential theme that's right at home with your, you know, mindset. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh right, well, Will, where where are you headed with the film now? You're saying that uh, you're branching out into well. I actually, let's back up. Let's talk about George Lucas is a punk ass bitch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's get, where, did, where did that come out of because you sent that to me and I was, when you said oh, I have a new thing that came out and everything I was expecting something more uh, I don't know maybe closer to Haunted House in Brooklyn or whatever and then I saw that yeah. and it, was, it, was, it made a complete pivot um, and I loved it I thought it was great I, I, you know, I thought it was hilarious yeah I think um,
1: my finding myself for real Finding who I really am as an artist has been getting back in touch with uh, who I was as a little kid. I'm just kind of a late bloomer, and so I've I've come to find that the things I loved as a kid are really who I am. And uh, George Lucas is a punk bitch. While it's not perfect, and while I want to keep going, it was a good starting point for me because it's it's trying to like merge the whole like all the things I love in one. It's like comedy, music, voice acting. And also just like a zeal for filmmaking. but So that's where it came from. And it also, it came from like being on a show last December. Uh, like I said, being a PA and saying,
2: man, I really just want to make stuff. Um, and do you know Tyler, the creator? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I went to his concert here in LA. He has one every November,
1: uh, a big festival. And he said on stage uh, something really inspiring to me, which was like, just trust your ideas, don't worry about what other people are doing, and don't worry about when people don't like your ideas, just, like, see them through. And that changed my life, actually.
0: That's and huge, that led to Lewis. Yeah. And I'm really glad, actually. like, it's it's changed my life,
1: because, like, sometimes I'll write a really absurd, absurd script, and send it to my best friends and producers who live out here with me, and they'll be like, this is shit, but if I like it, I'll keep going
2: hmm, hmm.
0: Definitely. And that's changed. I don't know. How do you feel about that in terms of getting critical feedback from other people? I feel like that's the best attitude you can have. Like, fuck other people's judgment. Uh, know, it, know what you like, know what you love, and just keep minding that. Yeah. And I think it's also, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. It's also being able to say, if this fails, that's okay at least i put it out there. Absolutely. And also let me refine what i just said a little bit like if somebody's if somebody gives you an opinion that you know they say they don't like it they're critical of something i think sure you can learn from that. I think that you know that's a great thing to learn from people's feedback and everything. But at the end of the day you have to know what you care about and if it's something that you really want to keep pushing with and everything versus uh, you know a critique it's-
1: so for me, like, I love slapstick humor and dumb shit
0: like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Is there a way to merge that with, like, the Criterion channel that I love so
0: much? Yeah. The thing that you and I love so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I, instead of being, like, which I used to do
1: in high school and college, how can I be like this person, or how can I be like Grannell, or how can I be like Scorsese? I'm not you, and I'm not Scorsese, I'm me. And so what
0: can I say that's only me? my voice. Absolutely. I think that's the thing that's interesting, too. I mean, that was my immediate uh, screw up with this podcast. I texted you and I said, "Who what filmmakers do you know?" And then 2 hours later I said, "I'm talking to the person that I want to interview." <laughs> that's
1: that thank you so much for saying that, but I I love talking about movies for sure because I think our, you know, our influences are important, but you know, all the same, thank you. And, you know, the goal, the goal is to, again, with like George Lucas, the goal is to start making more stuff regularly so that we keep having more to talk about. And and I think when you sent me that email, it meant a lot to me because I was like, oh, great. Now I get to be an artist like Grannell is and I get to be like a colleague of Grannell's and I get to like actually like put stuff out there while he's putting stuff out there and like we can talk about each other's stuff. It was I mean that when I said it. it was a cool feeling.
0: Well, you know, it's very important to me to see people putting out stuff and everything. When I, I know, you know, tens of people who say, "Oh, I'm, do, I'm gonna, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that," or whatever, and never, and immediately when I hear that, I say, "Well, you're probably not going to do it." Um, so when you said I have this new album and you kind of uh, <laughs> it, like described it as almost like a music record, you said, like, "I have this like new album out and that is George," Louis, and it sounded immediately so cool and everything. And I said, "You already did it, so it was already interesting." Uh, and then knowing you, I knew it was going to be something interesting. And I kind of watched it through an experimental lens. Um, and I think, you know, look, look, now looking at your home videos and or your early movies and everything, I see it in that way. It's this kind of return to uh, innocent filmmaking and experimental filmmaking and everything. And it wasn't this high production value that you that you put on to, um, I keep forgetting the name. What is the film you hate that you made? Uh, Sitting ducks. Sitting ducks. It wasn't this high production value that you you know you strapped that film what with it was very uh, raw and uh, and real in that way. So I, I don't know. I appreciated it much more than you know something that was technically perfect or whatever. And and I thought it was hilarious.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've been. Um, I have the Nuggets box set, the '60s music box set. It's like all the punk bands that were trying to copy the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily that, but like the booklet says the same thing. It's like these guys picked up a guitar and they just, all of a sudden you could make music on your own and just do it. And it is the most powerful thing. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad you do it. I'm excited to do it more. And who cares? Like who cares? Like someday, if you make enough good things, low budget, you'll get to a place where you can like do it high budget and maybe then you'll realize that you actually like working in low budget better. I mean, how many
0: filmmakers do you and I both know that, like, high budget just doesn't work for them? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Better. They're better, raw, raw. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah, definitely. You... So, okay, I have a question for you. Did Because I love your film that you did that was like a tribute to your parents that
1: incorporates a lot of home video footage. It's on your Vimeo account. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah,
0: it's called Parents, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and your mom's like a teacher, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So were your parents um, a patrons of the arts and B um, you know video files that encouraged you to video? No, um, the my parents were supportive of me doing that. Um, and no, though that my my dad worked in a bank and my mom worked as a teacher. And you know I, I feel that they created a good foundation and were very open and uh, receptive and everything, but no, they weren't specifically artists themselves or anything like that. Yeah. Or, or but even, they were... or even patrons of the arts. I mean, they, you know, they appreciate art and can appreciate, you know, museum and this, and that kind of thing. But I wouldn't say they're, you know, uh, donating their money to, uh, artistic causes or anything like that.
1: Sure. But, and I, I did mean the former thing that
0: they appreciate it because right, my but... mom and dad, um, God love them are just
1: a little bit conservative when it comes to that and I mean my mom and dad thought Barry Lyndon was boring you know and they just hate they don't like that kind of stuff but even though my mom's a painter but I you know that's one
2: of the reasons why I felt so much of an outcast in my family because mm-hmm. so we'd have a movie and if I played the movie like, everybody would be getting antsy like all right well like where's this movie going <laughs> <laughs> you know? but I'm glad that that's because
1: I love that video you made. it looks like you grew up in a supportive atmosphere where your parents were like I don't know they were just kind of letting you grow in this world organically and I do appreciate that.
0: Well I love home videos for that like you know in, in experimental uses usages and everything but also just I, I love looking at the aesthetic of home videos and all of that um and in your videos too i saw that it looked very similar to something i was very familiar with um the the house the, the locations that you shot in i thought uh, looked uh, very familiar i could tell that there was a, kind of the same structure there in a lot of ways
1: yeah and it t- it teaches you to make with what you have and not rely like on a, i i've always felt super unnatural shooting on sound stages they make me very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like shooting where it's already art directed by whatever location it is. I never knew that until I just said it. <laughs> but you—you you actually are okay with the whole soundstage thing because you—you did that whole desert thing for Nacklin.
0: Yeah, I mean that was a kind of a one-off though. It's not my my go-to by any means. Yeah, so. it's funny that there are people who
1: make a career out of going into sound stages and like art directing it. It's, it's crazy to me. Definitely. My album ends, the last sketch in my sketch album is Master's Class. I said, can anyone be a master in the craft of writing? And she said, I'm supposed to say yes. And she, like, smiles, <laughs> And I just rack up, and, like, my phone goes down onto the desk, and I love that I ended the album that way because... It's the one moment in my whole thing that isn't manufactured. It's mm-hmm. just a purely brilliant moment, and we're all just laughing, and like, I love
0: laughter. It's, it's a great thing, and I was glad that I got to incorporate that. Absolutely. That's very cool. But it's also cool because I think this is one of the things that makes you experimental. It's
1: not that you're trying to do the weirdest shit ever. It's like, how can I incorporate the moments after a take into my narrative film that people are going to go see on opening weekend. And that's exciting.
0: You want to talk about Cassavetes for a little bit?
1: I do, just because i he was my hero. I got Rosemary's Baby junior year of high school in the $5 bin at Walmart.
0: Yeah. I was like, who is this guy? And then I saw that he had made faces in a book I had 1001 movies you must see before you die so so wait, wait 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 let me interrupt so so Rosemary's Baby that was your introduction to Cassavetes yeah and and you yeah. just you saw him acting and, and you were interested yes I I remember thinking
1: because I have a thing with masculine idols I'm weird about it I like see guys like John Hamm and I'm like I want to be that guy yeah but yeah. I still like that and I saw him and I was like I want to be that guy I don't know what it is about him but I want to be him mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um
1: And then when I saw that he was an artist who didn't care about, it wasn't like he was coasting off of his acting or his good looks and being this vapid actor, he was actually putting his acting money back into his art. Absolutely. That inspired me and still inspires me to
0: this day. Absolutely. I think I read something that at the end of his life, he still had a second mortgage on the house.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) From opening night
0: or some shit. yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: You know what's okay. You know what's cool is that he actually writes very well um, in a way that's not dated. A lot of the guys we look up to,
0: they probably have kind of a dated kind of like male gaze, if you will. Right. Yeah. He's one of the only ones where it's like he actually. This guy clearly talked to his wife okay,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because he didn't necessarily write from the female voice but he tried to understand the female voice and the effort is what matters in his films, in my opinion.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that's so interesting. I mean, I think some of his films are the most, quote, feminist films uh, out there, but at the same time, told from a very masculine perspective. Yeah. You watch, like, Husbands
1: and you're like, I'm watching these barbarians and then you turn on, like, Minnie and Moskowitz or Opening Night and you have actual scenes between women where they're talking about love and sex and you're just like i don't know if this is authentic but i know that there's no baggage on that scene mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This Is it writing what he like i'm gonna see these people as humans and not based on their gender and just write their conversation and that has really inspired me when it comes to writing
0: female characters and stuff definitely i think he's a huge inspiration of writing especially for female characters um, of Cassavetes' films. I know Faces is your favorite, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't believe it's not... What is
0: your favorite? Husbands. And sometimes it's scary. I mean, Husbands has some genuinely rapey scenes
1: in it, but it's never like he's condoning rape. He, he's always showing you this thing as like, this is the monstrosity that is life and people not communicating because they're insecure.
0: This is another scene I, w- I wanted to talk to you about because while back I'd said that I love husbands or something and you said, Oh, I don't know. I, I feel like I hate that film. It's so toxically masculine, toxic masculinity, whatever. And I, I mean, those scenes are like horrific. Um, I don't know. Like, what do you think about them? Um,
1: well, that's a really good question. I think you made me go, Oh, maybe I should rewatch husbands and like see it in a different lens. Um, because I felt that way, I was, and I didn't think, again, I didn't think he was condoning it, it was more like, this is just painful to watch, whereas like, faces, um, I think it does a good job of like, establishing masculine identity, but constantly checking in.
2: Mm-hmm, We're mm-hmm. checking
1: it, or switching over to the wife storyline, and it's pretty revolutionary the way they bring home Seymour Cassell, and he's like, flirting with all the girls, and he kisses, and like, you see horny old ladies, and that helps with, like, the horny old men. Husbands is just horny or
0: men. And you're kind of like, I don't know what to do with this. This is getting crazy. But again, I think it speaks to these flawed characters that he shows and people who are, are not perfect. You, you go into it expecting to, to like them. You think, oh, they're funny. They're at this funeral and they're they're drinking like crazy and everything. And then you realize, like, oh, no, these people have serious problems.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And Cass, have you ever noticed that Cassavetes is weird about putting himself on camera in his own movies? Like he'll be the star of someone else's movie, but when he's in his own movie, he kind of like, he's like, kind of like, he's not hiding. He's definitely doing an amazing job, but like he's trying to prop up Peter Falk or Ben Gazzara or Jenna in opening night. Have you ever noticed that?
0: In a way, but I was gonna say I also feel like he plays himself in his own movies. To an, well, to an extent, I don't know. I mean, he takes on a character, but I feel like his soul still comes through more so than in *Rosemary's Baby* or something.
1: Yeah, but in *Rosemary's Baby*, he was like trying to tell K- uh, Polanski how to direct it, which is not right. Like I've always dreamed that one day you would cast me in one of your films or something, and I get to do that and be an actor instead of a director. But it's like, I would never tell the director what to do. And I kind of wonder, man, he was ballsy. He kind of like was shitting on Polanski on set. Like, this isn't reality. <laughs> yeah,
0: sure. This, the camera just died. I just want to put it in a new battery. Okay, cool. No problem. <clears throat> really enjoying it, by the way. Thank you. Me too. You. I, I absolutely am, minus this uh, short interruption.
1: You're right. This is like the first time we've gotten to, like, talk-talk
0: and have a conversation instead of just, like, texting or something. Sometimes, also, I feel like unless you set up a formal thing, whether it's a shoot or a movie or something, like, you don't even get to hang out with people in a real way, you know? I agree. Yeah, like, other Otherwise, it's like passing things. You get a quick lunch or something, and that's it.
1: Yeah, well, I'm not just a fan, grand I'm a friend.
0: <laughs> Same here. We were talking about I think what I said was, all I said was that in
1: Rosemary's Baby, the behind-the-scenes gossip is that he got a little, he and Polanski were getting along, but he got a little too, you know, I think Cassavetes treated his approach to filmmaking a little bit like a religion. I think he really hated Hollywood films. Absolutely. So even though Polanski and that movie are amazing because that movie shattered the code and like took us to a new level in American film. Um, I think Cassavetes truly, he just wanted uh, movies where actors could move
0: freely. Absolutely. Well, I, I don't feel that Rosemary's Baby was so uh, transcendental or something either. I feel, to me, it does seem like kind of a Hollywood thing that Cassavetes is trapped in.
1: It does? thats I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I do think it has a spark to it. I think it it moves quickly from scene to scene um, and it's it's got a very interesting way that it tells its narrative it's like we're in this scene and then one little interesting beat happens and then we switch to the next scene and i think most movies play out way longer scenes mm-hmm. are just longer and more bloated and it's like plansky's moving through and I, I do admire his pacing in that movie mm
0: mm-hmm. mm yeah but i definitely that, favorite. I like it better than Chinatown. Oh, really? Why do you relate? Really, uh, oh, Polanski directed Chinatown, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just uh, because everybody looks at Chinatown like the best one, and I'm like, oh, I kind of like Rosemary's Baby better because
1: it's just, I don't know, it kind of like brisks along at a nice pace, and Cassavetes is like, really good in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Maybe it, I do love
1: Cassavetes
0: and I love him in that movie. Yeah, same. I, any movie that Cassavetes is in, I immediately like it tenfold more. Cast, um, yeah. <laughs> but as a movie strictly, or as a director, in terms of Polanski, I like it. Like, have you seen Knife in the Water? No, I haven't yet, and I really want to. It sounds, you know, it, it sounds like uh, pretentious. So oh, I like, I like his student film or something. But I, really, I thought that one had a lot of uh, merit and everything. I really liked it.
1: Yeah, those movies like Repulsion, Knife in the Water. I have not seen a couple of those early films yet, and I'm excited to, because it's what made him such a commodity in the U.S. Did you
0: watch uh, the new Tarantino film? No, uh, I like, haven't yet. I
1: would love to, you know, it'll be off the air, but I would love to hear your
0: thoughts on it. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. That's what I'm saying. Like, oh. when you see it, let me know, because yeah, I want yeah. to talk about it. Okay, it if, definitely, like, I know. What are your favorite films? Slash uh, directors. Can you ask me that? I kind of want to know what's up with you on that. We hit a lot of them. I mean, Cassavetes is, is huge. Uh, Kubrick, um, in terms of pure experimental stuff, uh, Stan Brakhage. Um, and then, uh, like, Antonioni. Uh, Berg- yeah. when, we were, when we were talking about muses and, like,
1: loving a woman, kind of just, like, loving her or even a man, whatever, like, the beautiful bodies. I always think of Antonioni's first three, the, like, and La Ventura and La Notte, and, like, Monica Vitti is so great in those movies, two out of three of them. And it's, like, I think he had that thing going with her where it almost seems sexist, like when a director, like, loves a woman and idealizes her, but there is that element where, like, she really... Brightens his movies up and adds a new layer to
0: them. Uh, absolutely, I'm so influenced by all of Antonio's stuff, especially those first three movies. Um, I mean, even Blow Up. Have you seen Blow Up? It's one of my. It is
1: now one of my favorites. The reason why I think that film is so great is because it says one of my most big my biggest value about film and art is that like art is so fashionable that we we like. I don't know, it's like our culture claims to be appreciators of the arts, but they're following a trend more than they are the artistry of it. Oh, absolutely. And that, character, that uh, the photographer guy, the douchebag, he really just wants to make his own stuff, and he's like trying to show his manager his photos, and it's like he's so busy caught up in the bullshit of what he does for a living. Not that it's bullshit entirely. I think there is some artistry and, like, I love fashion photography personally, so I think that's great. But it's, like, he's obsessed with this murder that didn't really happen. And I always see that as, like, a metaphor for being, like, I've got this great project and nobody cares. All they care about is, like, the status of what I can offer them on a status level.
0: hmm I think Blow Up for me, though, was just so raw it kind of there was so much kind of so many scenes where not much was happening or something and that's what stood out to me it was like so low-key um with and then it kind of climaxed with the yardbirds at the end and jimmy page smashing his guitar uh i don't know i think to me i just i saw that when i was real young and it was kind of the first introduction to films like that and I just thought, like, oh wow, you can make something that's extremely low key, and uh, and then you have Jimmy Page at the end.
1: <laughs> that's true. The 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 closing scene with the tennis match is
0: awesome. That's that, a great scene. That is, yeah, super cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, one of my favorite film endings ever.
0: That yeah, that's always stood out to me. Absolutely. But
1: that's cool. That's that. Your influences are great, and I think mine are the cartoony ones. Kenneth Anger. George Kuchar I also love Cassavetes I also love all I mean I love Robert Altman I don't know I always like directors that kind of and I think one of the reasons why Fireworks um, and Puss Moment is my favorite anger film not Fireworks but I think Fireworks it's like in a time when no one was doing this Kenneth Anger was doing like dick jokes and he was putting a piece of shit sign that says Gents on the restroom. He was making this lo-fi, comically absurd, like, snuff film-looking thing, and yet it has such a strong theme, and it is clearly a work of art. And I, I wish that more directors embrace their comic side, because com- humor is such a huge part of life, and not taking yourself too seriously is such a huge part of life, so every time I try to put absurd comedy in my scripts, my producers, um, my friends who produce my stuff, and, like, my writing group from NYU, they all go, like, what are you doing? This sucks. Write your drama. And I'm like, but this is my drama. It just happens to have absurd humor in it, like, you know.
0: Well, you can look at Cassavetes. Anytime you see him in an interview or something, he's laughing. Yeah. you know he makes some of the most uh, maybe tragic movies you can think of, and yet in any interview he he, he can't he's cracking up and you know he, yeah. he says I, uh, we you know we shoot a little something and then afterwards we come over we, we eat something we we drink a little something and we all have a good time
1: yeah I saw the one when the french people interviewed him about faces
0: and i like, love i love that yeah. interview that is my my favorite we kill him
1: And then we bring them back to life. (laughs) Without taking. Okay, I have a question for you. Do you ever worry, because I'm a bachelor in Hollywood and I'm kind of looking to have a family life soon. But like, do you ever worry that like being a dad and like someday your son is going to be in middle school and he's going to be old enough to have his own thing? Do you ever worry that you're going to be kind of like feel out of touch or goofy when what you and I try to do, we try to be on the cutting edge? Do you have insecurities about that?
0: Well, what do you mean by cutting edge? Because I don't think I'm necessarily trying to be on the cutting edge.
1: Uh, Maybe I phrased it wrongly. I think we try to be... I don't know. Maybe that answers my question. We try to be authentic in our artistic pursuits, and we try to be open. And I know, for one, that my parents, as they get older, are a little bit goofier, and they're a little bit more closed-minded. And I don't want to be that way. I want to be the guy who's making my weirdest stuff when I'm old.
0: And I just wondered if you had insecurities about that now that you're a family man. No, I feel like what you just said is the answer. I mean, you, you just said you don't want to be that way when you're old. I mean, I think as long as you have that mindset, you'll never be that. I'm glad to hear you say. It. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if things get if things get uh, too normal. Like you know, I'll, I'll just move to Japan or something. Big deal. Did you know who Scott Walker was, the musician who died this year? No, who's that? I'll get with you about that later too. He's just a big influence on me. He's just a musician who he was a teen idol in the '60s, but then he kind of rejected that and kept making weirder music throughout his life. Mm. And I'll recommend the album to you. In 2012, he made an
1: album that is just a punk album made by a 70-year-old man kind of like rebelling against the world because he's getting old and losing control of his body. And it's one of the best albums I've ever heard in my life. Wow, very cool. Yeah, nobody makes albums like that when they're 70. It's just like, it's a, it's jokes about like incontinence. and It is cool like that someone can do that. And the one thing that gets better as we age is our brain. And so I'm very excited to try to use my brain and not let my body take that away
0: from me. Oh, me too. I, I think every year I get older, I feel a little bit smarter and everything. And, and not yeah. smart, not smarter, but wiser maybe, you know. And I look at like 50 and 60-year-olds that I actually look up to and think, you know, I'd like to be like that or something.
1: Yeah. Do you ever feel like you look at certain artists and think they lose, they lost their touch at a certain point?
0: The the true ones, not really. I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like Cassavetes like went out and on a peak, you know. Um, yeah.
1: Kubrick as well.
0: Kubrick, Kubrick as well, absolutely. So no, the ones that like I really love, I, I don't think so. Um, I'm sure you know it happens. I, I think you know people fall off sometimes and everything, but uh, no, I, I think. A lot of people, like, you know, have, it, have an ideal, and they just keep growing until you know that's it. Yeah. So this is good. I'm glad we're talking because now it helps me with some of
1: my insecurities. Like it's what? Like you don't have to be. You don't have to become lame because you're older. If you're on top of it, you don't. I don't know. We'll see.
0: Oh, absolutely not. I don't think you have to become lame because you're older. I think the opposite. I think it, it only gets cooler.
1: But surely you acknowledge that a majority of our elderly population is, you know, not doing that. They're not living in the moment. They're not being active. They're they're looking backwards instead of forwards.
0: Yeah, I mean, but surely the, you. Agree. But, but the the majority of the population are just like wacko,
2: <laughs> right? That's a good point. Yeah, I
1: agree. I don't disagree. What? Is, okay, so what? Who were your? Was NYU film, like, a good thing for you?
0: Um, yes and no. I feel, like, kind of neutral about it. I mean, I think it, it brought me to where I am, which I'm happy with, and I met a lot of good people in NYU. It had a lot of positive aspects. Um, that being said, I don't necessarily think I got, like, my money's worth or something. Um, I feel like a lot of the things I was taught there I already knew or um, I, I wanted more from, something like that. Yeah, it, it's what you make of it. It's what you make of it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't take it back. I wouldn't do it differently. But I can't say you know that I'm going to donate a uh, hundred thousand dollars to NYU at any at any time in the future.
1: They don't need it, Grant.
0: Yeah, they don't they need really, it. <laughs> yeah, they do it. I think I feel a very similar way as you, but
1: um, it did get me out of Missouri. I'm glad I went there because I met like-minded people um, and like yourself and just different weirdos that I love. And I do think that like our sight and sound film class was like the crown jewel that we could like shoot. We were mandated to shoot at least four films on 16
0: millimeter black and white. Absolutely. That to me is just worth more than any money could buy. Yeah. Yeah it teaches you so much about the craft and the process. And your famous film from that class was
1: shaman. Yeah, it was good. You scratched on the film in a really clever way. And, uh, so, uh, again, I'm not saying this just like to compliment you. It's not my intention. You definitely taught me that you could use the, before I actually knew who Brackage was, you taught me that you could use the physical format of film as like a canvas So I have this film that I'm like working on. I've been working on it for 10 years, which is like, I don't know if it's ever going to get done, but maybe I can change that. I want to do something called the things that died trilogy. Mm. And like the first film in the trilogy is like this block, this botched experimental film I made with Daryl Wilson about a couch. Um, And I think that will just be like a collage of footage. So sort of in your style on that way. And the second film is just this pure, silent movie of me and my girlfriend at the time, who you also knew, at, in Central Park. Mm-hmm, and it's in color. Mm-hmm. We're just filming each other. And it's beautiful. And I kind of was inspired by you to make that movie. So it's like, we don't need a soundtrack. We don't. We just need, like, the raw emotion of us
0: handing the camera to each other and filming each other. Yeah, oh, it sounds beautiful. The third
1: film is about uh, the Joplin tornado, which is a whole
0: other thing. But, mm. yeah. Oh, I'd like to see the Joplin so tornado also. That, what? I said, I'd like to see the Joplin tornado also. That sounds awesome. For sure, for sure. <laughs>
1: but I love that, I love that, like, film I made with my ex-girlfriend. I'm a little worried that I'll have to ask her permission if I can put it up, you know? Because it's like, this is involving two people and not just one, and I don't want to be selfish. But it, it's kind of like braggage. It's like, I'm just involving the people in my life. Yeah, this yeah. This is about my vision, you know?
0: So will go. We, we had Lynn
1: Sachs, Granal. We had Lynn Sachs, um, and she was good.
0: Oh, the experimental film teacher.
1: Yeah, you know, but I mean, I think you missed about ninety
0: percent of those classes. What do you mean? Where where was that? What are you talking <laughs> did you, about? Or did you not? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I you don't. Were, you were amazing, and you did a great film
1: for that class. By the way, it had uh, "In the Flowers"
0: by Animal Collective. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. 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 You were
1: like. Were you kind of running in and running out at that time.
0: Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't love her or that class or that film. I can't. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't necessarily love her, but she introduced us to so much stuff that I never knew about.
1: Yeah. Um, and she brought in a lot of guest speakers, but they weren't like because um, the other guy that taught that class was Amos Poe. But Amos Poe knew Jim Jarmusch and brought Jim Jarmusch in, and it was like a celebrity thing. Lynn scraped – I mean, I don't want to say scraped the bottom of the barrel. She brought in authentic artists who are trying to pay their bills and making art and
0: screening it in anthology film archives. Right, right. I love that. But but I would agree with you that um,
1: I certainly – I have kind of tried to keep in touch with her – since then, and she has not been the best about that, you
0: know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not trying to disrespect her either. I don't really, you know, remember at this point. That... I mean,
1: I mean, yes, this is whatever. You might cut this out. It's a podcast.
0: It's going out. We're not here to disparage people. Yeah, some, yeah, yeah. Teachers were, some teachers were very active
1: in their students' artistic growth, and some were not. And that, that's what I, I would have to, without saying anything about Lynn. That's what I would say about NYU. Some teachers were kind of just there for the paycheck. Absolutely. And so really, in in you and cared about you, like Daryl. Daryl, like, went out of his way to make sure that I got the 16-millimeter camera for an extra weekend to do a personal project that wasn't for school. Yeah, he did the semester after
0: we were in it. Mm-hmm. So, great. Right. Um, you know, we just lost Jonas Mikas this year, who was an NYU professor. Oh, just him? about to bring him up, yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just cool that, like, he was there in the building, and he was ancient. I remember him kind of, like, walking across the hall, and I was like,
1: that is an older man. Yeah, you yeah. I'm <laughs> not going to bother him, but he, it's cool that he worked there, and that we saw him, and that we got to be in his presence every day. That guy's a legend. That guy worked with John Lennon and Yoko. He's a,
0: he's a big deal from that flexus 1960s New York movement. Absolutely. He was in our class. I never had him personally, Jonas, but, I mean, he was in the building. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because I've never met him. I had three opportunities to meet him, and all three of them fell through, and then he died this year, and uh, I felt terrible that it never overlapped. Did he cancel on you a bunch of times? Like, No, it was, was no, not him personally. It was more like places I was working for that had me set up to do an assignment with him and then the company canceled or money ran out or something like that.
1: Yeah, wondered that we were there with him. Arnold Baskin shot... Um, we didn't have Arnold Baskin for Sight and Sound, but he shot Kenneth Anger's Custom Car Commandos. Oh, wow. And I, like, I stumbled into his office very nervously. Like, I was literally shaking because I was nervous to talk to him. And he was very chill, and I said... How did you uh, get those like tracking shots? And he was like, "I used the fucking wheelchair. What do you think?" i that was really funny, and, you know. I was lucky <laughs> to go to that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, will where where are you going with film? What is the uh, what does the future hold? Um, hopefully
1: to just put as much content out on YouTube as possible. I say hopefully, but it will happen. Um it's just that right now it kind of has to be comedy. Not that comedy's bad, but it kind of has to be comedy and I'm finding my voice through my comedy. But I do I have a couple of movies I really want to make that are my dream to make. Um I just I don't know, for me it's like those movies have to come organically. I can't make them right away right now. I have to just like live in the moment
0: like you do and just make funny things and make weird ideas that I have. -hmm, mm -hmm. How do you see that playing? Wait, say again. I hope that answers the question. Yeah. How how do you see that playing into your, like your practical life and everything? Like, uh, do you feel like you have like time to be a director and make the films you want to make and everything? Um, does not mean taking a, you know, a, a turn from uh, what you're doing now or what?
1: Well, only, I have my day job and then I have my career and I came out here to, like, perform comedy and write cartoons. I love animation. Um, we haven't talked much about this, but it goes back to my childhood. Um, making films is easier because I can get behind the camera and just forge everything myself as opposed to, like animation which is a really technical collaborative
0: process you know in the most case you've taken so many turns in your work like you started with you know again going back to most haunted house in brooklyn and everything which is very kind of traditionally experimental and then you come out with uh, george lucas is not a punk ass bitch or is a punk ass bitch and then uh now you're moving into animation i mean those are some kind of major shifts
1: yeah i mean you're right about that on a practical standpoint, but I am getting back in touch with who I really am. Gotcha. Yeah. You know yeah, it, yeah. So This, it is, I appreciate it. And I appreciate how you read my work. It means a lot to me, obviously, but like, this is all who I really am. The only thing that keeps me from being like the fully fledged animator is that I'm not a very good draw. I don't draw very well, but I do voices and I sing and all that. So I don't know. Um, I love animation I always have, like going back to Fantasia. But I also love live action. I love live action, too. So I'm just, I'm trying to be always a filmmaker and always a storyteller, no matter what medium I work in.
0: Do you have any long-term projections here? Or you think you're taking it day by day, sort of?
1: Oh, boy. I don't know. The cartoon needs help. I need people. Like, I just actually, today, I asked an artist to join this amazing person I met at Fox, who's a who's an illustrator, and I asked her if she would look at my designs and draw some of my stuff, because she's so good at that. Mm-hmm. So it's weird, because I've had to seed some autonomy. When I do the live-action stuff, I can be a little dictator, and I can do whatever I want and tell everybody what to do. So it, it's weird, because I don't know if that answers your question, but like the animation kind of relies on other people, but making live action videos, that's thats something I can definitely do no matter what, and that I'm excited to do and see where that goes.
0: Very cool, very cool. How about, I mean, how about you? No, I don't know. I mean, well, I, okay. have, I have short-term and long-term projects that I'm working on. You know, I don't know, short things like the loop videos and all that kind of stuff that I try to put out on a daily basis and then longer form things. And one goal is I would love to get back into shooting actual film. Yeah. That's money. Yeah, it's money, it's time, it's a lot of things. Uh but you know, it's something that I, I want to kind of sink into and make it happen.
1: You will. You will. And like you're you're one of those if I can encourage you here, you're one of those directors that um, you're gonna know how to use film. Are you looking to do maybe sixteen millimeter or does it not matter?
0: Sixteen millimeter, 35? definitely.
1: It's a beautiful. I love 16 Millimeter. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's, I it's the too. indie. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's hard. It's hard to map out where you're going to go. I mean, I, I just think it's hard. Like, I'm not going to give up. I'll say that much. Like, whatever happens with the industry, I'm not going to give up as an artist. I'm always going to try to pursue my artistry because it's the most important thing in the world to me. And it's not worth it to be a human if
0: you can't. Express yourself the way that you were born to do? You know, I think these are like the big questions also that most people don't ask themselves. Or, you know, you said 98% of the population gets uh, loopy by the time they're 50 or whatever. I think, like, uh, you know, these ideas of, you know, express yourself, uh, freedom, things like that. Really, I mean, at any given moment, you have that ability to be a completely free person, to express yourself the way you want to. And if you, you bolster those thoughts, you're, you're going to come out with some incredible stuff, you know, rather than saying, well, I can't do that.
1: Yeah. it's so true. Um, uh, quick question. Do you write a lot screenplay-wise?
0: Not screenplay-wise, but I, I do write a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. sweet. I think that's, I, that's probably our biggest difference uh, as people. I'm, I'm a big fan of writing the screenplay that's a big thing for me Mm. and uh you really are i mean so it's weird because you have a lot of video output i do have a lot of scripts but nobody really reads scripts they watch videos so Mm. (laughs) i'm kind of like okay how can i like turn this into
0: making videos it's very interesting though i mean like a screenplay also if you have something that you've created like that I mean, maybe after your death, even, it could be something that is uh, turned into a movie.
1: Yeah, Emily Dickinson was uh, pretty dead when we discovered her poems.
0: Right, right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this, and I think maybe this is a a good excuse for us to kind of like, I can call you from time to time, we can actually have a conversation off the air, because... You know, I don't know. We haven't had a conversation since probably since college
0: like this. Absolutely. I think, Will, it was great to talk to you for the last, uh, let me see what it has been, two hours and 15 minutes.
1: You're going to have to edit. You're going to have to cut some of my shit. But yes, I'm excited to hear this. And when it comes out, I'm going to promote the fuck out of it. So put it out,
0: and uh, I'll promote it. All right, man, great to talk to you. Keep on keeping on. Dig your head in the sand and keep moving forward. (laughs)
1: Yeah, man. It keeps going, and uh, um, you know, you too, and uh, thank you for, let me just say before we end, um, thanks for supporting me and everything that I've done, and uh, yeah, thanks for being not only like a colleague in the the film world, but like a friend. I do appreciate that, man.
0: You too, Will. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you later.